We actually uh, completed our study of the book of Romans last week, and we're going to take with this one evening and recap, go back over, kind of get an, get an overview, remind ourselves of some things, and kind of uh, hopefully get some sense of continuity and, and put it together. Romans chapter 1, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank You, Lord. We thank You for this book of Romans. Father, such a, a, uh, a magnificent work and so, so clear and so plain that, uh, that You gave to us through our Apostle that, that we might understand the, the fundamental truths of, of Your grace and of all that You've done for us, Lord. We thank You, Father, for the the work that your word does in us by your holy spirit that that uh causes us to come together and to and to live our lives as becometh saints father and that's what you've made us to be and we just praise you for that lord we pray that you'd guide us through your word here this evening and give us some uh, sense of the of the grandeur of this of this work that you've that you've accomplished here, and we pray it in our Savior's name, Amen. Amen. All right, the uh, in in Romans chapter one, there's the book as as we look back at it now and just kind of take one evening to to go over it from uh, from beginning to end and get a get a get a sense of the whole. It's it's on the one hand it's kind of easy to do because we've been seeing as we as we study this book of Romans that it's very logical. And and the, the book of Romans is probably the closest thing we have to a book of, of uh systematic theology in the Bible. It's very uh it, it there's a very logical progression through the book. Paul is very uh systematic as he as he goes through doctrine by doctrine and uh, not just doctrine by doctrine, but as he strings the doctrines together in a in a uh, in a logical order, the way that God brings them into our lives. On the other hand, it's the Book of Romans, so there's just no way that you that that you know that you can that I can present this in in uh, you know and do it justice. But let's go ahead and 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 start here. We'll just take a, cha- a chapter at a time, kind of quickly. Uh, Romans chapter 1, if you recall, let's get Romans chapter 1 and verse 14. And let's just get a few verses here and get the, get the idea of the first chapter. Romans chapter 1, what Paul's going to do is he's going to introduce uh, the wrath of God and the situation of uh, uh, that... that people in general, particularly the Gentiles, were in. He says, verse 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul is, introduces us here, and, and he's already done it, even earlier in the chapter, to the gospel. And that's where he starts us off in, in the book of Romans, uh, as basic as you can get. And he starts out the 
telling of the gospel with the wrath of God. He says, verse 17, for, that the reason I'm not ashamed of the gospel and I'm ready to preach it, is for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So Paul starts out his telling of the gospel with the righteousness of God, and that really is, the righteousness of God is the theme of the book. If you, if you want a, a, a theme for the book of Romans, that's it. The righteousness of God. But here he says the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel for the wrath of God is revealed. And Paul, what, he, what he's doing in these first couple of chapters in Romans here is he brings out the, the righteousness of God in judgment. So in chapter 1 he, talks about, he talked about the, the Gentiles. And there's an event here that... Paul uh, kind of centers this discourse around, and that is the Tower of Babel. When God cast away the, the peoples of the earth, they, they didn't... Uh, verse 23, get it there. They changed the truth of God. Uh, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own heart. In uh, verse 26, God gave them up. Verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And that happens uh, in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel when God scatters the nations, the, the peoples of the earth, <clears throat> and casts them off. Up until that time, He had... Um, he was giving revelation to the world through uh, through Noah after the flood. And when they all gathered together there at Babylon, decided to make a tower to, to worship their gods and worship the heavens and so forth, God came down and saw it, and you know the account. He, he scattered them and cast them off. Now, of course, the next chapter in Genesis, uh, he calls out Abraham. So when he, when he casts off the earth, the peoples of the earth, then he picks one man and he continues his plan of redemption uh, through that one man and through his seed and, and like that. So chapter 1 here talks about the, the sorry and, and woeful condition of the Gentiles. Chapter 2... Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. And in chapter 2, what, what he's going to do from verse 1 through oh, 12 or so, 11 or 12, he's going to talk about the moral person. The, 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 the people in chapter 1 are the, are the immoral people who are just living after their flesh. They're in idolatry. They're in homosexuality down through the passage there in chapter 1. And all of those things at the end of the chapter, filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, 
and all of that, uh, that kind of overt stuff. He's the, he's the guy in the you know in the gutter. He's the he's the guy that he's just an overt sinner, and he has been cast off from God. He is separated from God. Chapter two, you get into the moral man, the upright, the clean cut, the the one who judges. The, the the guy in chapter one, the one who looks at the guy in the gutter and, and shakes his head and says there, you know, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him. And Paul says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. So in those, in these next several verses, Paul brings out that the moral man is separated from God and under the judgment and wrath of God as well. Then, as you go on through, there's a third type of person. Uh, as he talks about the judgment of God there in those uh, in that first half of, of chapter two, verse seventeen, he says, "Behold, thou art called a Jew." and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. And now from chapter, from verse 17 there, uh, and down through the end, he talks about the religious man. So those three classes of people, Paul covers in Romans chapter 1 and 2, the, uh, the, the sinner who, who you know everyone would look at and say, he's a sinner, the moralist, who people would look at and say, "Well, he's an upstanding, uh, you know, man, citizen, honorable person," and then the religionist, someone who people would look at and say, "Well, he's a he's a godly man." And all three of those people, all three of those types of people, which basically covers the world, are under the wrath of God. Are 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 disconnected, cut off, cast off from God, and under His righteous judgment. So that's Paul's where he brings us to. Now remember, he's he started off. He's going to give us the gospel. So he takes and and you want to you want to take that and and take note of it when you're giving someone the gospel. Where do you start? You can't get someone saved until you get them lost, right? So you want to tell them, you want, you want to, uh, to explain to them, uh, you want to put the law on them. Paul says the law is good if a man use it lawfully, and the law is made for disobedient and ungodly and unholy and profane and, and for unsaved people. So that's where the law comes in. You see, you know, have you kept the commandments? Have you done everything God's told you to do? Well, yeah, I have. Well, start numbering them. You ever tell a lie? You ever steal? You know, go on down through. Prick the conscience. Then they're ready to uh, to hear the, the good news part of the gospel. So that's what Paul does. In those first two chapters, he gets, he gets people lost. And that is, he explains to them how they are lost. Then in chapter 3, he, uh, he pounds that home in verse uh, 10. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. You want to know Romans 3, verse 10. What we're really going through here is what people call the Romans road to salvation. How do you give someone the gospel? How do you give a gospel presentation? Paul shows you how to do that here in the book of Romans. Just follow it, step by step. Use his 
formula. Um, you, you start with the wrath of God, and uh, and you come in here and you and you show them how that no one is righteous. Verse and that section ends in verse 23. Therefore, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3:23. You want to have that verse. You want to have it in your mind to be able to quote it, and you want to know where it is so you can open your Bible and show it to them. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you get in uh, in the midst of that, verse 19, he says, chapter 3, verse 19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So that's what the law is for. The law is not there for us to follow and get to heaven. The law is there to show us our own guilt. And then you get another one of those therefores in verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. And that's the uh, the, the meat of the gospel right there in those just those couple of verses you want to get if 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 you want to uh to memorize a, a passage of scripture get Romans chapter 3 verse uh 21 through 25 those four or five verses there and memorize those and have those in your in your arsenal because that is the uh, the thick of the gospel right there. It's not by the law. It's not by our own righteousness. It's by faith and belief in Jesus Christ because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then verse 24, you're being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And what, what Paul does here is he gives you kind of a lectionary through these couple of few verses of, of, of words. He throws these, these words at you that that uh, relate to salvation. He talks about righteousness. He talks about uh, uh, faith. He talks about sin. He talks about uh, verse twenty-four, grace. He talks about redemption. He says uh, pro, he he gives you propitiation. In verse twenty-five, there through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. All of those words. You want to know what those words mean. And we talked about all of those back when we were in chapter 3. And uh, because all of those... Uh, there's, a, there's a doctrine behind each one of those words that make up the truth of the salvation that God has provided. Redemption, propitiation, righteousness, faith, all of those things forbearance. So so in chapter 3, you finally he beats you up in the first two and a half chapters and then finally halfway through chapter 3, he he lets you loose and he and he shows you the freedom, the the, the deliverance that God has provided. Chapter 4, you get uh, you get into the no works issue. 
In, in chapter 3, it's not through the law. And it, uh, by the way, there's another therefore that you want to note in uh, chapter 3, verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. If you follow these therefores through the book of Romans, you get the logical progression. It starts out with a four. The wrath of God is revealed. Therefore, thou art inexcusable. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. Therefore, a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And in, in chapter 4, uh, you see the, the no works issue. Verse, he brings uh, Abraham in, and he, in verse 4 he says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And that what, what Paul is saying there is that you're reckoning the reward as being a matter of debt. That is, I'm going to get to heaven because God is going to owe it to me. I'm going to work. I'm going to, I'm going to make my payment. He's going to owe me my reward. So in other words, I'm, I'm reckoning heaven, the reward, as being a matter of debt. I'm going to put God into debt. He's going to owe it to me. That's how uh, God looks at someone working for their salvation. I'm going to be good and get to heaven. What you're saying is, I'm going to make God my debtor. And Paul says, that's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You know, I showed that verse to a, a, uh, a Mormon guy once, sitting at my dining room table. And he looked at that. He never saw that verse before in his life. He he was telling me how you know they study the King James Bible along with their uh, with their book and um, with the Book of Mormon and so forth. And every verse I showed him, it seemed like it was it was new to him. And he was an old uh, an elder in the in the church. But he said, no, that's not. God doesn't justify the ungodly. That's crazy. He said, that's a bad translation. I said, well, this is a King James Bible. It's the same, same Bible you use. Every time, every verse I showed him, no, that's, that's, that translation's not right. That's what they taught him to do. You just you say, no, it's not true. God doesn't justify the ungodly. Well, he gets that out of out of the Bible, out of Exodus, where God says, I will by no means clear the guilty. So God doesn't do that. But through grace and through the Lord Jesus Christ and His propitiation for us. So, so in chapter 4 you get, uh, it, 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 it's not us, it's not my behavior. It's not just, see, because people will say, well, yeah, it's not by keeping the law. But that's different from you know from works. Well, Paul deals with both here. He says it's not by it's not by obeying the Ten Commandments, nor is it by just be, being a basically good person and just doing good works in general. Neither one of those things. He deals with them both here, chapter three and then chapter four. Don't get you to heaven. So as he goes through uh, chapter four. He draws out our connection with Abraham there in the rest of that chapter. And the connection is that Abraham was justified by faith before circumcision, before the law. 
And Paul's argument is that uh, if Abraham was justified by faith without works, then that's how justification must come. Because if you're going to add works after that, you negate what God did with Abraham, and you can't do that. So again, it's, it's, it's another logical um, argument bringing us to chapter 5 where you have therefore. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So now we have uh, salvation. And not just salvation, but we have a salvation that's not dependent on us. I have a salvation that doesn't count on me performing well tomorrow, which I may or may not do. So because I have salvation, because we we have salvation that is entirely of God, we have peace. Because we can't mess it up. And we know God's not going to mess it up. So therefore, being justified by faith as opposed to a works program, we have peace. We have rest. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the next uh, step in the, in the progression. Now chapter 5, as you go down through the first half of the chapter, is about your security. He's got you, he's got you lost in chapters 1 and 2. He's got you saved in chapters 3 and 4, and He gets you secure in chapter 5. Chapter 5, He says things like uh, verse 8, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's justifying the ungodly. Much more than being... Much more than... Being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So Paul's argument here is from the, from the greater to the lesser. And he does that often through, uh, through the book of Romans. And essentially what he's saying is, if Christ died for you when you were, when you were a sinner and an enemy and saved you from, uh, from wrath, from the wrath to come and from hell thereafter, then much more. Will he, will he keep you now that you're reconciled? Now that you're a saint? Now that you've been saved by grace, cleansed, washed, sanctified? If he did the greater, he will, he will do uh, all other things that, that follow. That's Paul's argument and his point in the much more. And you get that down through as he goes in beginning in verse 12 where he starts talking about another event. He talked about the events surrounding the Tower of Babel in in chapter 1. And here in chapter 5, there's another great event that affected the relationship between man and God, and that is the fall of Adam. And so the, these two, the, the first five chapters of the book of Romans really hinge on these two events uh, of, of man, the two failures of man, and the, uh, the deliverance of the one man, of our, of our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. So he talks about our inherited sin. 
as you go down through the rest of chapter 5. How that we uh, come into the world sinners because we're akin to Adam. Because we're the children of Adam. And um, I think you've got a therefore in here, verse 18. Therefore, his conclusion out of this portion, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, just like that back in Genesis 3, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So that's the the conclusion of, of, of our old position in Adam and what the Lord Jesus Christ has done to deliver us from that. So, And then you get uh, some much mores again as the uh, in verse 20 where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And much more is really the, the thrust of, of chapter 5. If the Lord saved you, much more He will keep you. If, uh, if Adam was able to, to, to damn you, much more the Lord Jesus Christ is able to save you. And if sin was able to abound, grace is much more able to abound. And the, and the, and the excellence of God's grace over man's sin is what you see in, in chapter 5. So the first, those first five chapters there um, take you from being lost to rejoicing in, in blessed assurance and not in salvation, but sure salvation and secure salvation and peace with God. So we've got that in the first five chapters. Now chapter 6. What shall we say then? The, the logical question. I'm saved. Saved by grace. No works. Not my behavior. I can't lose it. Does that mean I can just go out and sin and do whatever I want? That's the logical question. So Paul asks it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And what you're going to get come into in chapter 6 is, is a further step in the working of the grace of God. Beyond your salvation, your sanctification now. And, this, and, and your sanctification and mine rests in the answer to this question. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So here in chapter 6, Paul introduces us, he begins to introduce us to, to, the, to the further work of the grace of God through the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That not only did He die for us, but we died with Him. And because of that death and that identification and that baptism, verse 3, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore, there's another therefore for you, we are buried with Him by baptism into death. Why? That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And that's the, the thrust there of, uh, of, of chapter 6 is there in, in verse 4 in those, those few verses there. Our sanctification doesn't come from our trying, from our effort, from our, uh, from our striving to be good any more than our salvation did. 
We couldn't get saved by being good. We couldn't get saved by forcing our, ourselves into into some moral uh, construct. And we can and we won't be sanctified that way. You will not uh, live this Christian life by uh, by by trying. You live the Christian life by believing the same way you got into the Christian life. You, you, you live the Christian life by faith in the cross work of Christ, just like you got saved by faith in the cross work of Christ. Yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Feldick, who I admire very much, this uh, verse 6 of chapter 6, verse mm-hmm. 4 of chapter 6, uh, backs up the first uh, verse in chapter 8. Therefore there is no more condemnation for them that which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Those two verses kind of... That we should walk in newness of life is walking in the Spirit. Right. Is that what you're saying? That first verse in chapter 8 should not be that many scholars say... Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying Romans 8, 1b, that people say are not in the best manuscripts and shouldn't be in the Bible, is is supported by Romans 6, verse 4. Yeah. That's, that's, that's very good, and you're absolutely right. He's talking about walking in, uh, in newness of life and walking in the Spirit in, in Romans 8, 1. The, the, the part of that verse that people want to pull out. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's very good. So you've got the uh, you've got the mechanism now. You've got the mechanism of salvation in in those first five chapters. Now you're getting the mechanism of sanctification. How am I going to live this Christian life? It's not by my works. It's not by my morality. It's not by my religion. We've all, we've thrown all of that out the window now. So what so what do we do? Well, it's by the grace of God, and it's by the baptism by the power of God working through your baptism into the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we do it. I don't... Uh, you know, we, we do what we do because we are who we are. We, you know, why do... Now, compare us to dogs, but why do dogs bark? Why do cats hunt? Because that's what a dog does, and that's what a cat does. Well, why do saints live godly? Why do we come together here? Why do we study the Word of God? Why do we love uh, our, our neighbor? Why do, well, because we're saints. And that's what saints do. It's because of who we are that we do what we do. Not because of what we want to uh, uh, gain from it or what we fear if we don't do it. It's just who we are. It's who God has made us to be in Christ. That's chapter 6. So we are dead to sin, and you've got a therefore in verse 12. The conclusion. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. And uh, verse 14 you want to get, uh, and know where that is. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For you are not under the law, but under grace. So, 
uh, that's the, the, the thrust there of chapter 6 as you come into this sanctification uh, portion of the, of, of the book. We're dead to sin. Chapter 7, we're dead to the law. Um, verse 4 is almost a therefore, it's a wherefore, but I'll, I'll take it. Romans 7, 4, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are, you also are become dead to the law. So you're dead to sin in chapter 6, but you're also dead to the law in chapter 7. By the body of Christ, same mechanism, he died, you died, that baptism that puts you into his death, that, that uh, you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So there it is again. That's where our fruit comes from, what Paul calls in Galatians the fruit of the Spirit. Not the effort of the flesh, not my, uh, not my religious uh, obligations and, and obediences, but the fruit, that which grows naturally from our, uh, from our position in Christ and that baptism that caused us to be dead to sin and dead to the law. So that's chapter seven, uh, and he goes on in that great passage in the in the second half that if I do that I would not, and I, and I don't do what I want to do, and the thing that I hate that's what I do. And his conclusion in all of that is that the one who's who's doing all those things that I don't consent to that's not me. And again, it's an it's an identification issue. I'm a saint. Saints don't do that. Therefore I find a law, he says, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Therefore it's no more I that do it. See, again, it's who am I in Christ? It's not just, uh, you know, Christ gave me a new religion. I'm walking in newness of life. So, Sin is not something that uh, is not something that someone who's baptized into the death of Christ does. So I look at that stuff and I say, "That's not me. That's not befitting who I am. I'm walking over here." Yes, sir. I'm married to another. Yeah. Notes the fact that there was another that you were married to before. Right. Who was that? It would have been the law. Because the world, before faith came, Paul tells the Galatians, we were shut up under the law. Kept uh, shut up under the faith which would afterwards be revealed. So you're, you're married, you were married to the law. Now the law is dead and you're dead to the law so that you could be married that is joined to Christ. Because some believe that you were married to Adam. Yeah, you, you weren't. I, I, I disagree with that with that interpretation. I understand that some people believe that. I don't uh, I don't see any reason in the Word of God to consider myself married to Adam. Adam is my father. Uh, I am born of Adam. I, I am not, never was, in any way, shape, or form that I'm aware of in the Scripture, married to Adam. You're a part of him. Um, I, right. I, I was born of him. You're born of him, right. so you're a part of him. So in a sense, you could say you were married to him. Yeah, except that Paul says he's talking about the law. Right. But I, I, I understand that some people hold that view. Yeah. I, I personally don't. So the, uh, the, the issue, though, there in verse 4 is you are become dead to the law. 
by the body of Christ that you should be married to another. So, the uh, again, Paul's getting us off of this whole fleshly, religious, obedience kind of a, uh, a mindset and, and getting us into, into the Spirit. And not to walk... Remember, it's not just the, the, you know, the guy in the gutter that's, that's got a problem. It's the, the upright, clean-cut, uh, moral guy. It's the highly devoted, religious guy. They've all got the same problem. They're all cut off from God. So you don't want to be any one of those three people. You want to walk in the Spirit. You want to be a new creature in Christ. You are a new creature in Christ. That's the power that we, in which we walk and live this Christian life. Yes, sir. We walk in the Spirit, but we walk after the Spirit. Yes, well, both. Because the Spirit dominates us. The Spirit leads us. If you be led of the Spirit, you are the children of God, right? Because mm-hmm. you're led of the Spirit, so you're dominated it says you're led <laughs> I'm going to stay with led you walk after the flesh you're the unsaved to my understanding after the flesh you're dominated by the flesh yeah I think a Christian can be dominated by the flesh too though. right yeah uh, being living in the flesh and walking after the flesh are two different things you and I don't live in the flesh and that's Paul's point here God has taken us out of Adam and put us into Christ so we don't live in the flesh anymore so don't walk after the flesh that's that's what Paul is, is telling us You don't. that's not who you are it's about identification Yes, absolutely. He's got uh, reckon yourself to be dead in, in uh, to sin in chapter six, verse eleven, and to the law in in chapter seven, and then uh, and and the result of both of those things is you know the cry, "Who shall deliver me from the body of this death?" O wretched man that I am. The answer is, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. So the uh, the deliverance is there for us. Uh, God's already given it to us. Yeah. Um, so, um, what is he saying in 25, 7.25 when he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind and I myself serve the law of God? What is the law of God? The, uh, the righteousness of the law, the 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 truth of God, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, all of, all of that. He's the Paul's uh, theme as as you as you go forward is that is about the fulfilling of the law, the fulfilling of the righteousness of the law. He tells you about it in uh, in chapter eight, verse three. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Verse four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
he tells uh, he says back in chapter two to uh, to those to that Jew that he's talking to, thou art called a Jew. He says, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, then his uncircumcision is counted for circumcision, and he's going to judge you. So it's not keeping the letter of the law, but it's keeping the righteousness of the law. The righteousness of God doesn't change, but. Uh, uh, he, Paul says uh, that love is the fulfilling of the law, and that's what we're what we're looking for. We we want to fulfill the law. We just don't want to do it under the law. We want to do it under grace. We want to do it by grace. Yeah. So with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So am I going to walk after the flesh? And the flesh he's talking about there is trying to obey the works of the law. If I do it that way, I'm just going to keep, like you said, this treadmill. If I, if I do it in the Spirit, and that's what he's talking about when he, when he talks about the mind as he goes down into chapter 8 there, if I walk in the Spirit, then those, that fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, all the stuff that the law told you to do, just just comes out. So would you say that walking in the Spirit is, in a sense, like our duty would be to focus on who we are in Christ, our position, our identification with Christ, and that's walking in the Spirit in the sense of when we identify with ourselves with Christ, that we are dead to the law, then the, the, the Holy Spirit is going to help us to bear fruit in our lives. Yes. Yes. Yes, sir. Very technical dictionary that said temperance meant not hurting anybody by being uh, drunk. drunk. That would be sober, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be sobriety then? Not hurting anyone by being drunk as a definition for temperance? Uh, don't, don't be drunk. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, if, if you're drunk, you hurt other people. Okay. That is temperance. Temperance is self-control. Being able to to uh, to keep your temper essentially in in, in its in its basic uh, form. I wonder what is there another word maybe that's close to that that's that's got more to do with. Yeah. Okay. You maybe you 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 lose your your uh, your your ability to be temperate uh, if you're if you're drunk. Hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take a look. So now you're uh, therefore in chapter eight. After you come through, you're dead to sin. You're dead to the law. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So, now that we've learned how to walk after the Spirit instead of after the flesh, obviously, if you walk after the flesh, there is condemnation, because he just called himself a wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death. That's the condemnation. And he says, if you walk in the Spirit, you don't, you don't get that. Uh, 
there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit he tells again in the in the uh, in Galatians chapter 5 talking about the fruit of the spirit he says against such there is no law so if you're if you're walking in the spirit there's nothing to condemn you not because you're being perfect not because you're not sinning but because you're walking in the in your identity in Christ you're walking in who you are in Christ and when that law of sin appears in your life you you disassociate yourself from that knowing who you are it is no more i that do it uh, and and i am a saint a child of god and i'm going to walk over here I'm going to do what saints do so the uh, the freedom from condemnation there comes from walking after the spirit not by trying to force myself to obey God because all that does is bring condemnation because now I'm right back under the law where I started 